Hello and welcome to Plot Twists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Seduce Me at Sunrise by Lisa Clayfus. This is the second in the Hathaway series and was published in 2008. So we already reviewed the first in the series. That's Mine Till Midnight. Right? Correct. That is correct. And that okay. one, if you remember, we, we quite liked. We quite enjoyed that book. Uh, it was about Amelia and Cam. Uh, and then in that book, Kev, excuse me, Kev, you don't know that his name is Kev. In that you find book. it out in the first book. Yes, but you don't find it until like later in it. Yeah. Anyway, Mara Penn. And when you already know, when you, when you read that book, you know that they're going to be the, the subject of the second. And you know that they have this deep, unrequited love and passion for each other. But in that book, it's presented as if Maripin has these unrequited feelings for Wynne that Wynne doesn't quite know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the perception of the other characters. And this book flips that right around. Yes, it does. And I, I really like, I really like how Clapis did it because she didn't do it in a way that you don't believe. Right. And, and it's because in that first book, as most romances are, it's written in the third person, but third person limited perspective from the perspective of the protagonists. Mm-hmm. Amelia thinks that Maripin loves Wynne, but that Wynne is just so innocent, she wouldn't understand what this passion was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this book, honestly, it opens with Wynne saying, with Maripin saying, Wynne, don't leave, don't go to France. And Wynne basically saying, you know what you have to do to keep me here. And guys, what he's got to do is fuck her. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> theoretically, it's tell her she loves her. He loves her, but like, it's fucker. <laughs> okay, wait. You know what? We totally skipped the jacket. Let's read it. Oh, well, because we had to give the backstory. We had to give the backstory. It's true. Okay. He has tried hard to forget her. Kev Maripin has longed for the beautiful, well-bred Winifred Hathaway ever since her family rescued him from the brink of death when he was just a boy. But this handsome gypsy is a man of mysterious origins, and he fears that the darkness of his past could crush delicate, luminous win. So Kev refuses to submit to temptation, and before long, Wynne is torn from him by a devastating twist of fate. Can she remember the man he once was? Then Wynne returns to England, only to find that Kev has hardened into a man who will deny love at all costs. Meantime, an attractive, seductive suitor has set his sights on Wynne. Now or never for Kev to make his move. But first, he must confront a dangerous secret about his destiny or risk losing the only woman he has lived for. So this is a really bad jacket, actually. Yeah. I have to admit, this is the, I think this may be the first time I read the jacket because you read the first one and then you're like, I want to read the second one. You don't read the jacket. You're just like, yes, I got the second book in the Hathaways, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it does not mention 
Okay. So I think the problem with this jacket is that it treats this book as a standalone in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Yes. So way back before even the events of book one, Wynne got Scarlet Fever. Maripen and her sister Amelia nursed her and her brother Leo, who also fell ill, through the illness. And while Leo physically fully recovered, Wynne never has. Mm -hmm. And she's remains basically an invalid and has relied on her entire family and very particularly Kev way more than she wants to and pretty much feels doomed to never have a normal life. So she decides to seek a cure. And then so she leaves for two years and moves to France to get better. So I think that's what this jacket is trying to portray as Wynne being torn from Kev by a devastating twist of fate. Yeah. And that doesn't really make sense because then it says Wynne returns to England after the devastating twist of fate. And it's like, no, she went to a fucking doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't, at first I thought it was the scarlet fever, but then it said she returns to England. And I was like, wait, what? I'm confused. But and the scarlet fever. Yeah. It's just, it's not a great jacket for presenting either of them as characters mm-hmm. or the conflict in this book. And the conflict mm-hmm. in this book is when once Maripin, Maripin doesn't want to taint her with his past. Yeah. Wynne is fucking forcing the issue or she's going to marry somebody else. Mm-hmm. None of that is conveyed in this text. Yeah. Yeah. This, this book is about, in my opinion, a woman not only finding her own strength, but also asking for what she wants. Finding her yeah. voice, maybe. Yes. I, 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 I really like that aspect of it a lot, actually. I really like that part of it. Me too. So, we, as usual, we've tried, we generate a random number and we write our own summaries of the book. But this week, the number was two. So we didn't have a whole lot to work with. So Meg, what was your two-word summary? Love deferred. Yes. Yeah. So. And mine was foundling romance. <laughs> so we we each picked up on a specific part of the book jacket. <laughs> no real way to do it, <laughs> otherwise when you only have two words to work with. Yeah. All right. What are the what are the tropes? So I think the most obvious with the two of them. There's kind of two. One is opposites attract. Mm-hmm. She is fair as all hell. He is dark as all hell. Yeah. She's this gentle, caring, sort of angelic presence. He is huge, brutish, with Demonic. anger constantly, yeah. constantly simmering under the surface. Um, and the other big one with the two of them is he is a foundling taken in by her family. And while he's initially resistant to stay or accept any help, meeting her help meeting her immediately changes his mind. And from the minute their eyes meet as children, they are intertwined. It, this is really that that sort of faded love as well. Yeah. In that they saw each other and they immediately knew that they were linked. Right. By and, like and- cosmic force. Right. Both of them felt that. And then what kept them apart first was their age. They were just, you know, she was what, 12? 
I think he was 14 and she was 12. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. And then she got scarlet fever and almost died. So. Well, and he was, you know, not a child. He was like of the home. He was to a degree. He felt like, you know, had to behave while he was under her parents' roof. <laughs> I mean, yes, but I, I feel like she would have made something happen. I, I honestly think that when is a strong enough character uh, that I believe she would have made something happen, except for the fact that she did get so sick. Yes. Oh, definitely. But I'm just saying, like, reasons, you know, it's not like a 16 and a 14-year-old have never snuck out behind the barn. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. do think in their childhood it was a combination of their age and the fact that he wasn't super secure in his place in the family yeah. yet. Oh, for sure. Uh, so this is this is the book where the little clues and all the hints that were that were from the Wallflower series finally pay off. Mm-hmm. I will simply say that there is some question about Kev's parentage and family. So both Cam, Amelia's husband from book one, and Kev are Romani's living amongst the aristocracy or lesser aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And they discover at the end of book one that they have matching tattoos. And yeah. they both aren't really sure of their parentage or why they ended up kind of abandoned and living alone in completely different circumstances. But they both kind of ended up independent. And this book answers the questions about both of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, look, yes. Is it a total coincidence, complete ridiculousness? Yes. Did I love it? Yes. 100%. And I actually think a less deft writer than Lisa Klepis might have tried to make it more complicated than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I really liked not how obvious it was in the sense that obvious to the reader, because, yeah, it was, but obvious in the sense that, like, oh, it's that simple. And, yeah, you're like, okay, why would you tattoo children? Don't care. Don't care. He, so what, what is the dark, so he has a dark secret from his past. Yes, and, and that's it's revealed pretty early in the book. That's what's like keeping him from fully embracing Wynn in all ways. And basically he was an abused child who was forced to fight literally for his life. Yeah. And forced to dehumanize others to survive. Yeah. I can think of several books with this trope. Oh, uh uh-huh. The entire Bare Knuckle Bastard series by Sarah Mm -hmm. McLean. Mm -hmm. Every (laughs) single one of those, yeah. Literally all of them. Okay, so we'll start there. Yeah. Um, As in many, many romances, there are some near-death experiences that um, reveal our characters' feelings for each other. And some of these predate this book. Some of them predate the book. There's a near-death experience of not, not even one of the main characters in this book. Uh, there are Actually, there's a lot of danger in this book. A lot of near-death and experiences. Wynn almost kills someone on purpose. You know, lots of it, lots of it, lots of it. Well, that's, that's another trope, which is that she's the mama bear when threatened. Yeah, and Wynn's seen that happen before. So in the first book, uh, Maripin has a near-death experience, and Wynn tricks him into taking medication he needs to to survive. And in this book, information is needed quickly, and Wynn is utterly ruthless in getting it. Uh-huh. 
Everyone, and her whole family is like, what? Like, no one can believe what Wynn does. And the, as a reader, you're just like, go, girl, go, you know? <laughs> uh, so as the, our summaries, I guess, no, not as our summaries, as the book jacket alluded to, nope, book jacket leads us up. One of the central conflicts of this book is that there's a love triangle. There is a love triangle. I was not into it. It was stupid because the whole point is that Kev and Quinn are fated. Mm -hmm. So stupid murder doctor didn't really add anything to the plot. And it wasn't like he was ever a legitimate suitor. Is it? But isn't it? Isn't that the way with almost all love triangles? I yes, but I at least can trick myself into believing at least one of the main characters has reason for doubt. I I think for me the issue with the love triangle is not the love triangle in and of itself, but it was the fact that it didn't have to be more than, okay, fine. You're not going to marry me. I'm going to find someone else who does want to marry me. You know, mm. he didn't have to be a totally evil, horrible dude. You didn't need more. Right. And even before he was totally terrible, like, it was clear he wasn't even actually interested in her. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, you know, that's the thing. So it, it, it was, it was not believable. It was way too, it was too much for me. And I just said, this is too much for me in a book with like <laughs> mysterious parentage and weird family connections and faded love and uncles randomly showing up on your property. And it's fine. Like that stuff I could handle the, the, if it's, if it's integral to the plot, I'm there for it. <laughs> Uh, so he literally sweeps her off her feet and they run off on horseback, which is both a trope of the ROM that Cam also executed in the first book. But how often does the hero grab the heroine, pull her up on a horse and run away with her? So it was great. But what was even better is he did that to take her to dun -da -da -dun, a sex cabin. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. I will give the sex cabin this much. It was a real sexy cabin. It was wonderful in so many ways. And they uh -huh. stayed there for so long. Yeah, exactly. If I had one big point of praise for this book, I shit you not, roughly 10% of it is there 20 hours in the sex cabin. Mm -hmm. It's like you live each hour. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Uh, so Meg, what was the overall quality of this book? It's it's very difficult for me to to judge this book on it as itself. I think the I think the strength of this whole series is that I think this is Clavis's best series because I think each of the books is intertwined in the others. I would not recommend reading this book without having read the first one. I don't recommend reading the first book without then reading this book because there are too many loose ends. Uh, it really is a series where questions are asked in one book, answered in the next. And I, it's just really nice. It's really well done. And this is something that I see a lot in science fiction or in fantasy where the books themselves work on their own, but they really work really well as a series, right? Or with mm -hmm. um, historical fiction, right? Or with historical mysteries. Uh, but you don't see it that much in romances because they're, they don't want to leave. What romances do for the series is they set up the next couple. And then in the second book, you get to see some things that happen with the couple, 
which, okay, great. But in, in this book for Claypus, she actually has questions and answers from different books. And I, I think it's her best series because of that. Uh, and so as a single book, there is a lot happening. I would probably say if this was the only book I ever read and I didn't read any of the others, I'd probably say this was kind of a hot mess with just a lot of stuff happening. But there's a lot of stuff that I really like, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, Meg asked me what I thought about this when I finished it. And dear listeners, I had finished a, a trash fire of a book immediately re preceding this. And so I was really ready to escape. What I said to Meg was, it was a disaster. And it has many flaws. There's many things I don't understand why they were in the text. Wins a baby crazy, and I hate that in a female character most of the time. There's a random murder obstacle man. You know, there's several coincidences regarding Kev's backstory. Half the book is spent in the past, which is confusing for a book where you are already getting a lot of the backstory in the first book. There's a lot I change about this. I love this book and almost gave it five stars. It's not even <laughs> rational. Like, I don't know what to say because, like, any any criticism you could throw at it. Cam, like, gets a, not at Cam, but to a lesser extent, but really Kev getting a ton of fights. Yeah. A lot of He's fights. Mean to her a lot. There's a ton of like make out and fight. Or fight and, and she, make out. Mm -hmm. And she calls him out on it. And like, it's a ton of stuff that usually I'd be like, Oh my God, he's a chauvinist and I'm done. And why does she even stick around for this? And I was just so here for the faded love story. I didn't even care. Well, I will say too, We've talked about this, that when there's something that's problematic in the book, but the author points it out or has her characters pointed out, you can kind of be like, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> so the fact that literally what happens in the beginning of the book is when initiates makeout session, Kev reciprocates hot and heavy makeout, and then he pushes her away and says, don't come near me. And the second time this happens, she's like, okay, Kev, this can't happen again. You can't be such a cock-blocking asshole. I have now decided that I'm not going to try to make this work. Fuck you. Fuck the horse you, you rode in on. I'm going for someone else. And then he does a really shitty thing. Real shitty thing. So they um, hook up at a party. They hook up again. And they're caught. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't stick up for her. Mm -hmm. To say the least. I don't want to spoil, like, the way that whole thing goes down. But, like, let me just tell you, this behavior is so shitty that I could see myself hating a book on principle because this thing happened in a different book with different characters. Mm -hmm. But because I was already so sold on Wynn and Kev from book one, here I am going... Make him wake up, ladies. <laughs> like, it's awful. <laughs> Don't care. Know. Loved it. I know. Loved it. Um, I loved the basic... I basically love that this book is not only Kev and Wynn's love story, but it is an extended epilogue for Amelia and Cam's love story. Well, and an extended setup for Leo and Marx's. Yes. But I'm really focused on Amelia and Cam just for <laughs> the fact that you may remember in the first book, they got cock-blocked by her sister Poppy. And in this book, 
Cam gets cock-blocked again, but this time it's Wynn. What I loved is that in a book not about them, they somehow got two sex scenes. Two sex scenes, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Cleavis knows what she's doing. Uh, I, neither of us hated it in any way. Um, well, I don't want to spoil Kevin Cam's backstories, so yeah. read it. But yeah. I do have to talk about the fact that their names are actually Kevin and Cameron. Yeah, I, know. I was like, that's so stupid. I love it. It's so stupid, but you're also like, yeah, you know, sounds sounds legit. <laughs> it's fine. <sighs> Did you care? So um, this book happens obviously in the same world as The Wallflowers because Cam originally appears in oh Devil in God, Winter. Oh, my God, we didn't even add Hampshire as a trope. <gasps> Hampshire. Hampshire. Stony, Stony Cross Park. Uh-huh. Stony Cross Park. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? That's what it's called. Yep. That's what it's called. Westcliff's estate. Westcliff's estate. But they they don't actually go to his estate now, but but basically No, they do. Estate, do they the reader doesn't. The reader doesn't, but there's oh, a day that the reader you. is in Cam's perspective thank and you. all the ladies have gone to Stony Cross Park. I mean Kev. No, I mean Cam. You're in Cam's oh. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my god, I love it. We this book is a hot Yes. So it's it's but emphasis on a hot because it's hot. Uh, but okay, happens in the wallflower universe, and the ball where Win and Kev get caught is a ball held at Simon and Annabelle Hunt's house. Yeah. Did you care? No. A zero percent. And I care. like their book and I like them as a couple. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Cam and Simon are like more than acquaintances mm-hmm. because they and Westcliff are all part of the same like investment clique. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it was a. I love I guess it. It was, a, it was a fun, like, reference for anyone who'd read the Wallflowers book, but the reality is, like, there was no reason for them to be at the pow, the, the tete-a-tete discussing, Mm-mm. you know, what to do. It just, it was, it was, I like, it didn't bother me, but I thought it was kind of unnecessary. Yeah. And it's funny because there are certain characters um, that I'm very excited to see again. Like, for example, Rupert and Daphne in, in Lord Perfect. Mm-hmm. It could have been any other characters, but I was just so happy that Rupert was there. It's like, oh, it's Rupert, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. And here I was like, yeah, you know, Simon and Annabelle, whatever. Well, uh, they also don't like do much. Well, I know, but neither does Rupert. And I still well, was Rupert hanging out with his brother. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna defend this. Gonna defend <laughs> anyway, I don't know. FYI, guys, if you really, really love Simon and Annabelle, you might be excited to to see them in this book. I think this is their biggest cameo since their book. I yeah. He shows up in passing, and he shows up in passing a couple of times. But they like there's several chapters in their house. Mhm. Yeah. Um. So there is a garden fondle. Forgot that too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Offensiveness. Uh, as in the first book in this series, the potential of the ro- portrayal of the Rom remains fetishized and not great. Yeah, uh, uh, 
I will give Kleypas props for her use of vocabulary. I think she does a pretty good job with that and also does a good Except job. Except for the fucking gypsy in the summary. Yes. Well, I'm not saying the summary was great, but I think that the only time gypsy is ever used in, in the text itself is when it's people who you're not supposed to sympathize with and you understand are ignorant. Right. It's, it's used to bully not right. by anyone who cares about them describing, except in the jacket. I do have to point that out because it's so egregious. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty egregious. But beyond the conversations and the use of racial slurs, there's a lot of stuff in this book, especially in the conversations between Cam and Kev, chalked up to rom culture, particularly particularly in the discussion of women and men and their roles in society mm -hmm. that I did not enjoy or think were necessary. Mm -hmm. Guys, Amelia gets pregnant. She's been drinking some herbs to keep her from getting pregnant. And she's like, why did I drink that? How did this happen? And Cam's only response is, rum. And I was like, uh-huh, because your semen is more virile? That was gross. It was opinion. also, I don't know, I, I like it's fine. I'm aware that in a romance novel, a woman who doesn't want to get pregnant, getting pregnant when she is married, is never going to be treated like a bad thing. And I don't necessarily need it to be, but it's also, I think, a sensitive subject today in particular. To have a woman's bodily autonomy being undermined, treated as like a laughing matter. And that's me thinking way too hard about current context. And it's not this book's fault. Because like I said, I don't expect a romance novel to ever treat a woman who's been married for two years getting pregnant as like something that might not be perfect. Mm -hmm. But like she didn't want to get pregnant and she got fucking pregnant. And his response is basically like, my bee, not really. Made it magic yeah. Well, and it's also just the whole, the whole fact that it's supposed to be funny that we're like, oh, he's saying it's because he's wrong, you know? Right. So it's not only is it, are the issues with, like, birth control, but there mm -hmm. are issues with, with the problematization or, or portrayal of, of the culture. Right. But, I, I don't know. I mean, just basically... What if this was a, a modern day book and with an interracial couple, the dude is black, the woman's white, and she's like, oh my God, I got pregnant. What, what's going on? I was taking birth control. And he's like, I'm black. Yeah. No, you know, like, just, just put it in that context and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound very nice, you know? No, I literally, and the only change you have to make is strike that line and instead of him with a laugh and I'm, I'm just say like, I know. Mm -hmm. I'm as surprised as you are. Like exactly. it didn't need to be some like, it didn't yeah. need to be anything. Didn't need to be anything. But, you know, I, I, this is like a terrible thing to say, but also it could have been worse. <laughs> so I, I don't, I'm not giving her a pass. That said, I really liked this book a lot. <laughs> and I think a large part of that can be attributed to the sexiness. Yeah, this book is um really sexy. Really sexy. 
Even their makeouts that they halt three different times <laughs> with a fight are sexy. Yeah. But then when Kev goes all in, he goes all in. Mm-hmm. He kidnaps her as as part of a Romani ritual, mm-hmm. which which was part of the book that I actually did not find offensive. Um, no. Portrayal. I thought it was pretty well done, actually. The, the Especially because, just for the record, she's aware it's a Romani ritual when he yes. does it. Yes. And exactly. then throughout the ritual, she makes it clear that she did not need the ritual and would have consented. And he said, I know, I'm just doing it right. So it was like, yeah. it was, for something that could have been very non-consensual and weird, was very cute. Guys, basically, it's it's like a fantasy. It, it, not only is it a fantasy, because a lot of the stuff is very fantasy obviously but it's also a fantasy that is acknowledged as a fantasy like they are role playing mm-hmm. anyway I so well done uh, so he kidnaps her to a sex cabin which Lane already pointed out crazy and the sex cabin is um, super sex cabin and he wastes no time putting the title into action mm-hmm. the sex cabin is used for its intended purpose mm-hmm. the have times she i also like how she basically so she does not want to be caught still a virgin because she yeah. does she wants this to be an irreversible act and so the whole time she's like can you hurry it the fuck up mary Pan? Well, and hilariously, she's, like, naked, and he's going down on her. And it's just like, girl, even if someone caught you now, they wouldn't believe you were a virgin. Chill out. (laughs) Well, and also, I like, you know, later, she's like, just do it again. Just, like, do it again. I want to be, like, truly 100% (laughs) ruined, you know? (laughs) Well, and because she had been so fragile for so long, Mm. she also really resents any implication that there's something she can't do. (laughs) <laughs> so when he's like, you should probably not have any more sex today for your own health and safety. She's like, fuck you. <laughs> now you fuck me. It's yeah. so good. She's like, not. She's like, uh, I'm not taking no for an answer, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Like so it's you're extremely sexy. If you're worried about it, you can find a way that makes you comfortable. But you are having sex with me right now. Yeah. In this bathtub, and then in my room. And then in front of the fire, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just several moments. Guys, I mean, basically from the from the moment they enter the sex cabin until the moment they leave the sex cabin, the, ca- the, the sex cabin is a sex cabin. And then here's the thing. There's immediately stupid conflict following departure from the sex cabin. But then once the conflict in the book is resolved, they do go have sex without angst. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what that does for my overall opinion of a book. <laughs> that's, I'm serious. That's basically how the book ends. And so Lane was like, five stars. <laughs> I only gave it four because it did have some issues. <laughs> I was very close to giving it five stars. <laughs> I know. I don't know. There is something about like truly faded, like truly raw, truly like no control over your emotions that really worked for me when I was reading this. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. There, There is something about this book that really, really works because 
you read it and you, you're sort of thinking, mm, I don't love this. And you're like, give me more. You just keep reading. <laughs> I finished this in like an afternoon when I was doing other things. Like <laughs> I couldn't put it down. Yeah. So we're we are definitely enjoying our foray into the Hathaways. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I love this book a lot. I don't I do not think it's an unpopular opinion. That said, I am so excited for Leo and Marx's book. So you meet Marx, who's gonna, you know, hook up with Leo eventually. I'm just frustrated that I have to Very obvious. I just have to read Poppy's book in between. This is the book where Leo starts to step out as a romantic hero. Yeah, the, the first, first book, book, he is not. Mm-mm. He's totally not. This book, he's sort of on the road to recovery himself. But he's not. So in the first book, when you meet him, they talk about how he used to be this, you know, really great, intellectual young man who was going to be a great architect and all this potential is now wasted because he's a drunken wastrel, blah, blah, blah. So in this book, he's getting, he's controlling his alcoholism. Um, he's starting to be more productive in his life again, but mm-hmm. he's not, he's not back to the way he was. So he's not angelic anymore. In other words, guys, Leo has a lot of character development. <laughs> Which I'm really into. So I'm really liking it. (laughs) It was fun, especially because it's very, very, very obvious that Leo and Marx are going to do the enemies to lovers things. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of glad we're getting the enemies out of the way and established in the books that aren't actually about them. Yes. Because I hope that means we don't have to waste a lot of pages on enemies in the book that's actually about them. What, what we're getting out of the way, guys, let's be honest. What we're getting out of the way is, number one, tragic death of first love. Mm-hmm. And enemies to lovers. Mm-hmm. So these tropes are already being established, and we're not going to have to worry about them in their book. And we get to just read about basically Marx. Yep which is fine with me, apparently. I'm excited for it. But I'm excited to learn more about Harry Rutledge, too, because he's been foreshadowed for many a book now. Many, quite a few books, yeah. Yeah. Go back and listen to our Wallflowers episodes. We talked because I I remember I was like, it's Rutledge! (laughs) (laughs) I do have to say you lied to me. Oh, what did I say? How did I lie? Well, you said Cam was secretly more than he seemed (laughs) as always thank you guys so much for listening uh we'd love it if you would rate review and subscribe